You are listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Please open your Bibles with me to Second Chronicles chapter 24, continuing our study through the Scriptures. And tonight we find ourselves in Second Chronicles chapter 24. You'll remember our setting here. We're working our way through the history of the kings as they are recorded for us. These kings in Chronicles are primarily the kings of the southern kingdom. This is the time of history that the nation is divided north and south. And Chronicles tracks with the southern kingdom. This is where Jerusalem was. This is where the lineage of David. And we've just recently seen um, how God preserved the lineage of David. This evil queen, Athaliah, who even at the expense of murdering her own grandchildren, tried to secure her own hold upon the throne. But a man by the name of Jehoiada, the priest, hid one of the grandsons, and he was just one years old, one year old when they got him, and they, six years later, when he came of age, they put this young king, Joash, on the throne. Athaliah was dethroned, She was removed, and the rightful king, the the lineage of David, was reestablished. We pick it up tonight as young Joash comes into his reign. Pick it up with me, verse 1. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. And Jehoiada took two wives for him, and he had sons and daughters. So we see that this Joash grows up to be a good king. But we also notice that it says, and this will play more important as we advance the story, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada was the priest that took him as an infant, hid him in in the house of God and then preserved the throne for him and has now placed him there. He's now grown up under Jehoiada's kind of oversight. We see Jehoiada active in his life, even as a young man, kind of helping him get started in his family. Children are born, but he's doing well in the kingdom. And just, you know, just a, I guess a a side note, not the thrust of our time tonight, but just the blessing of godly influence, just that influence of Jehoiada on this young man And I would just say we all need good influences in our lives. We all need to be a positive influence. We need that that sharpening one another, encouraging one another in the Lord. But let's let's see what happens here with Joash. Look with me, verse 4. You'll see that he does well. Now it happened after this that Joash set his heart on repairing the house of the Lord. Then he gathered the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out to the cities of Judah and gather from... And gather from all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year, and see that you do it quickly. However, the Levites did not do it quickly. So the king called Jehoiada the chief priest and said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the collection? According to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and of the assembly of Israel, for the tabernacle of witness. For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken into the house of God, and had also presented all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord to the Baals. 
Then at the king's command, they made a chest and set it outside at the gate of the house of the Lord. And they made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to bring to the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, had imposed on Israel in the wilderness. Then all the leaders and all the people rejoiced, brought their contributions, and put them into the chest until all, was, all had given. So it was at that time when the chest was brought to the king's official by the hand of the Levites, and when they saw that there was much money, that the king's scribe and the high priest's officer came and emptied the chest and took it and returned it to its place. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. The king and Jehoiada gave it to those who did the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and they hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord, and also those who worked in iron and bronze to restore the house of the Lord. So the workmen labored, and the work was completed by them. They restored the house of God to its original condition and reinforced it. And when they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada. They made from it articles for the house of the Lord, articles for serving and offering, spoons and vessels of gold and silver. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. So you get the scene here. This young king grows up and he notices that the temple, the house of God, is in disrepair. And so he calls Jehoiada, who is kind of his stepfather and the, the chief priest of the land, and he said, listen, we need, to, we need to kind of repair and restore the house of the Lord. You and the Levites go out into the, into the nation and collect an offering, but, but do it quickly. Well, for whatever reason, they don't do it quickly. Now, we're not sure. Maybe, maybe the people didn't have enough time to respond quickly. Maybe they went out looking for an offering and the people were not ready or prepared for the offering, so it didn't happen. Or maybe the Levites were afraid to ask for the offering, or maybe they were just negligent. We don't know why Jehoiada and the Levites were unable to obtain this offering, but it didn't happen. But Joash, he remains diligent. He then takes this chest and puts it at the entrance to the house of the Lord, and this becomes kind of a place as the people come to worship They put something into the house of the Lord. And this becomes a regular kind of income. They they empty the chest day by day, and pretty soon there is an abundance. They make this proclamation, look, we're, we're repairing the house of the Lord, come and give, and the people rejoiced. And that's a, that's a, that's a nice uh, thought here. The people didn't act like they were overwhelmed or burdened. Rather, they rejoiced that this king was leading them back to restore the house of God and that they could participate. And sometimes, you know, people just need opportunity. They're willing to be cheerful givers. They just need that opportunity. And Jehoiada, or excuse me, Joash uh, brings this opportunity to, to play in the nation. The money is used faithfully. If you'll notice, we won't look at the details, but there's always uh, there's scribes and also chief people involved in the offering. They're very diligent with the resource. It's managed well. They give it to skillful, skillful laborers who finish the work, and there's even left over. Imagine that, a contractor coming in under budget. These guys did the work, and there was money left over. And they were able to use that extra to melt down the metals for furnishings and various things within the house of the Lord. 
So just a few thoughts for us, and I want to kind of now translate this, bring this up into the New Testament. This whole idea about giving, this whole idea about taking care of the house of the Lord. Now, we don't have a temple that we're maintaining. We do have buildings that we rent and places where we gather. We do, as a church, have needs, and, and, and the resources of the congregation is how those needs are met. So the picture is quite different in the New Testament, but some of the mechanics are still the same, right? God's people fund God's work. It's still, God still has it arranged that way. And I wonder why. Is it because God just can't get it done without your money or my money? Or is it because God is inviting you and I to participate and become vested partners in the work of the kingdom? You see, that's the cheerful giver. I get to participate. I get to use of what God has given to me and sow it back in faith to him for the work of his kingdom. I want to look at a verse, a chapter, a few verses, excuse me. Hopefully, I, I noticed that we're having overhead. We don't have the overhead? No bueno? Oh, okay. Then you're going to have to turn with me. Oh, we've got to go old school. Let me hear some pages. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll give you the backdrop on this passage. So this idea of, of being faithful with our resources, being good stewards of our financial lives, This does translate into the New Testament. This is not just an Old Testament idea. God wants us to be faithful with our New Testament resource as well. The Apostle Paul was traveling through the various churches that some he had planted, various churches that he had been instrumental in leading and guiding. And he's collecting an offering as he goes from church to church, not for himself, but he's taking an offering that he wants to bring back to Jerusalem because the Christians in Jerusalem were suffering under great persecution. And so the apostle wants to gather some resources from the other churches and the Gentile communities that were healthy, financially doing well, and bring some help and support to those Christians in Jerusalem. And try to kind of, his heart was not only to help, but also to link the hearts. We're family. We're in this together, the body of Christ. And so he sends this letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and he, he reminds the church that he's coming, and he's asking them to be prepared for the offering that they've promised to participate in. And we'll look at it, and there's just some good little nuggets here for us that I hope, that I hope will just give you a sense of Uh, guideline for giving and managing your resources as it relates to the work of God. Look with me, picking it up in verse 5. Verse 5, I thought it necessary, I'm reading out of the NIV on this particular passage, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 
Let's just consider a few principles here, and then I want to finish the balance of our chapter in Second Chronicles. Um, just some principles for giving that stand out to us, and uh, we, we, we notice that Paul uh, sends this letter in advance to the collection, because he, and he tells them to finish the arrangements. So in this we can see that giving is best done when it's planned for and budgeted, right? If I come to you tonight and say, hey, I need to borrow 100 bucks," well, you know, I wish you'd called me a couple weeks ago or a couple days ago. I, I don't have that on me, and I, you know, okay, I'm not asking anybody for 100 bucks tonight, but you get the idea. It's the idea of preparing and planning. You know, we don't want our giving to the Lord just to be kind of the afterthought, the leftovers. Well, yeah, I got my real life, and then, oh, I, oh, oh they're, they're passing the offering. Well, I don't know, honey, what do you got on you? What, where's the, oh, we'll get it next week, and on it goes. Now, listen, you know we don't talk about money. We don't even take an offering on Wednesday night, so you guys are safe tonight. And, 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 and this, is, this is not for any, any kind of ulterior motive. These are just principles. These are biblical truths that God uses to help guide our hearts and guide our lives and resources. Being a good steward. Jesus said, if you can't manage money, then how can you manage spiritual things, right? Jesus connects that, that idea of faithfulness and being a good steward. And so these are important principles. So giving is best done when it's d- planned and budgeted because Paul lets them know, I'm sending this so you'll be ready. He, su- he suggests that they, they, they'll be ready to give the generous gift that they have promised to give. So giving should be done generously, not grudgingly, not stingy, not, you know, holding back. And then he talks about the principle of sowing and reaping. This is why you can give generously to the Lord, because you're sowing it in faith into the kingdom of the Lord. You're sowing it to the God. You're giving it to the Lord who is able to abundantly bring in harvest back to you. Now, we know that a lot of teaching has been, you know, kind of taken this principle and I think manipulated it and turned it into this, you know, you give to get and make sure you give to us and then you'll get even more and all of the manipulations. That's not what we're talking about. But there is a principle here that God takes care of the givers. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. Paul is talking about money, and he's letting you know that this principle of sowing and reaping applies right into your financial life, right into the stewardship of resources. It also tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. That's somebody that has purposed in their heart to give. They're not doing it reluctantly. They're not under compulsion. That means they're not guilted or forced or coerced in any way. Each man, each, each person considers in their heart what the Lord would have, what the Lord has given, what the Lord would desire, what would be a faithful, generous, diligent expression of my faith unto the Lord. And that's purposed in your heart. And then you can give it cheerfully. You give it joyfully. It says that the people rejoiced. They were happy to give to the rebuilding of the temple. They were happy to see the, the facilities improved where they came to worship. Now, as I mentioned, we don't have a temple, but we have our own needs and resources that are required for ministry, for missions, for staff, for facilities. 
And so together, we are partnering in the work of God as a local fellowship. And then finally, he says that God is able to bless you abundantly. So you can give in faith. You don't have to give in fear of what, well, I'm going to have less if I give. I better hold on. No, God is able to give you abundantly. Why? That you might abound to every good work. God, where Chuck Smith used to say, where God guides, God provides. God is able to fund the resources needed for his work. So you give and you let God continue to provide abundantly to you. Okay, back to Second Chronicles. That's just a little detour on giving, on financial stewardship. It's there in our text. I wanted to bring it into the New Testament thought for you. But now the balance of our time, I want to look at the balance of this chapter because this is, I think, the heart of what we need to really consider here tonight. This, how Joash, after Jehoiada, doesn't do well. Pick it up with me in verse 15. But Jehoiada, now that's the the priest who has overseen this young man's life. He grew old and was full of days, and he died. He was 130 years old when he died. And they buried him in the city of David, among the kings, because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and his house. Now after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king. And the king listened to them. Therefore they left the house of the Lord of their uh, excuse me the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord and they testified against them but they would not listen Verse 20, then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, thus says the Lord, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but killed his son. And as he died, he said, The Lord look on it and repay. Verse 23, So it happened in the spring of the year that the army of Syria came up against him. And they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the leaders of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men, but the Lord delivered a very great army into their hand. The Syrians were greatly outnumbered, but the Lord actually used them to discipline his people because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. So they executed judgment against Joash. And when they had withdrawn from him, for they left him severely wounded, his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the sons of Jehoiada the priest and killed him on his bed. So he died. And they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. 
These are the ones who conspired against him, and it gives the names and finishes out the reign of Joash. So you see, Joash, who did so well, as long as he had that godly influence in his life, as long as he had the spiritual strength of Jehoiada, the high priest, near him, and overseeing him, holding him accountable, keeping him on course, he did well. Even well enough to to be used to restore the temple and and bring the people into worship. And, And yet, once Jehoiada was gone, other influences came into his life. It says that these leaders of Judah, they came in and they bowed down. There was this flattering, there was this, you know, enticing kind of influence that began to come into his heart. And the balance, the stability of Jehoiada, the, the faithful priest, keeping his heart on, in check, keeping his heart humble before God. All of a sudden, without that balance, these other influences began to entice him and lead him away. And Joash forsakes the Lord. The Lord sends prophets to warn. And the Lord is always faithful to send warning. The Holy Spirit is always active to bring us back to the Lord. The Holy Spirit is always looking to bring a word to our heart when we need correction, when we need restoration. But it says, and this is, I think, maybe a key verse for us tonight there in verse 22, Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him but he killed his son. That's a powerful statement. When you forget the kindness, when you forget the goodness of the Lord, when you take your eyes off of of God's faithfulness, what he's done, who he's been, you get it focused on your situation, your circumstance, your agenda, or, or the pressure of what God has delivered you from, or the blessings that God has shown you, all of a sudden they're distant, and now you're just moving on in your own strength, resource, agenda. That's a dangerous time. Well, the Lord sends the Syrians to discipline him. Joash is wounded and killed ultimately by his own servants as he lies in his bed wounded back in his home. So some application for us tonight, a few thoughts, and then we'll... We'll close with some more worship. The dangers of not finishing well. You know, it's not guaranteed that those that start well will finish well. It's not an automatic that, that you will do better and grow and, and finish strong. It's not automatic. It's certainly possible. And it is, it, it is surely what God intends and what God will provide grace to accomplish. But ultimately, our hearts have to allow that, and our hearts have to cooperate with that. Just a few dangers to be warned of. First of all, it seems to me that Joash lacked the personal, spiritual devotion and roots of his own spiritual life because once Jehoiada was gone, he was tossed to and fro. He became very vulnerable. This speaks to your own spiritual life. Now, thank God for good influences. Thank God for godly uh, believers in your life, good role models, mentors, those that would help disciple you. Thank God for those influences. But ultimately, your spiritual life, it is upon your, it, it comes to your heart to dig your, deep, your roots deep. Your devotion life. You can't grow and ride on, on somebody else's spiritual life. 
It's good to have those influences, but they can't bring you into the fullness of what only God has for you in relationship with Him. You need your own personal walk with Him. Joash uh, jo seemed to lack that, and these new influences really led him astray. I was reminded of Jesus when he talked about that seed that went out on the variety of soils, and some of the seed fell on the rocky soil, remember? And there wasn't deep roots that sprang up real quick and looked good. But when the sun came and the weather beat on that plant, it withered and it died. Jesus explained that parable, and he said, that's, that's the, the word that goes into the heart, that, but, but it never gets rooted deep into the life. And they spring up, there's enthusiasm, there's, you know, serving and wanting to be used by God, this great, oh, but then persecution comes, trials come, difficulties or other opportunities, other influences. And because there's no root there, it's not the, the, there's no fruitfulness. It never comes to maturity. It never comes to fruitfulness. We must develop your own personal devotion life. You must have your own walk with the Lord and, and allow those other influences to help, to sharpen, to hold accountable. But you too must allow God's word to go rooted, uh, root deep into your heart. The other thing I notice about Joe Ash, and again, we're talking about some of the, the warnings against not finishing well, is Joe Ash is not able to receive correction. The Lord tries to help him. The Lord tries to get him back on track. He sends prophets. And prophets begin to warn, but he won't listen. That's the problem with getting off in your own agenda. You're not always correctable. You know better. Don't bother me. I'm doing, my, I'm doing well. I know what I'm doing. And there's this lack of uh, humility, and this heart can't be corrected. The prophets warned, and eventually the Lord raised up even Jeho one of Jehoiada's sons. This would have been like a stepbrother to the king. But he doesn't want to hear that, even that. It reminds us of Jesus talking about his testimony, right? He gave that story where the, the landowner sent, sent servants back to, to receive the harvest from the, those that were tending the, the land. And they, they, there was no, they rejected each of the servants. And he said, you know, I'll send my own son. Surely they'll listen to the son. But they, they killed the son and, you know, did violence against the son. Jesus giving that parable, that analogy, of course, speaking to the hard hearts of the Jewish people who had rejected the warning of the prophets, and now even the Son of God is in their midst, and their hearts are hard. God is long-suffering. God sends message after message, prophet after prophet, occasion after occasion. How many times has the Lord come after you? How many times has the Lord reached out to your heart? Oh, I'm telling you, the Lord is faithful. The times that I've gotten away from the Lord, I mean the Lord is, is quick to warn and the Holy Spirit. And, and you know, you, you try to silence it, and so you, the, you, lo you look away, and then there's even a stronger witness. You hear a message on the radio, somebody in the store, somebody just all of a sudden, everything in your life, God is trying to touch, to, God is trying to encourage, trying to bring you back. We need to be quick to repent. Our hearts need to be correctable. Listen, if you can't be corrected, if the Holy Spirit can't convict you, 
move you and, and, and restore you on course, you are headed for trouble. None of us have all the answers. None of us have got it all worked out. We need daily the Holy Spirit. The psalmist said, search my heart, O God, and know me and see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way that is everlasting. This young man cannot be corrected. And even though the Holy Spirit is faithful, and I believe the Holy Spirit is faithful in our lives, you've had the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You've had God's Word speak to you. You've heard pastors and sermons and believers come alongside and speak to your heart. Oh, let the Lord speak to you. Listen, be quick to respond to the Lord. The third thing I notice about this young king, and, I, and as, as I said, maybe the most important uh, failure is that he fails to remember the kindness of the priest. And that is a dangerous place when a believer who has received the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of the Lord, and who among us has not been a recipient of the kindness of the Lord. We didn't deserve or earn any favor with God, but in His love and in His grace, He, through the through the gospel, through the work of his son, he's come. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He's provided us the Holy Spirit uh, that we are not alone. God has done everything. Paul, Peter says he's given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. Oh, the kindness of the Lord. You know, it would do us well just to reflect once in a while on the kindness of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but this is my my struggle. I have a hard, I, I'm, I'm not able to reflect on the kindness of the Lord because I'm too busy thinking about the conflict of my own drama right now. I'm too busy complaining to be thinking about and reflecting on the goodness of the Lord. Anybody? I know it's probably just me, but anybody can, will you pray for me? Okay. <laughs> we get caught up in our own situation and just you know, Luann sang it. If, if you'll just be still and just be quiet, <laughs> I'll, I'll work. I'll help. God wants to help. God wants to work. But you know, sometimes the, we get so caught up in what isn't happening, what we're not getting, and what we're, you know, feeling, you know, unjust about and this. Just stop for a minute and just right now, just, just, do this little exercise with me. Close your eyes. And I want you to think about a time in your life, maybe recent or past, that you have been a recipient of the kindness and the mercy and the goodness of God when he was faithful. You didn't deserve it, but he was loving. He was good. He was kind to you. And now just in your own heart, just say, thank you, Lord. I want to thank you for your kindness. I want to thank you for the times that you rescued me. I want to thank you for the love that you put in my heart through the gift of your son. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for cleansing me of my sin. Lord, I've got challenge. I've got trials. Oh, I've got plenty to worry about tonight. But Lord, None of that is important right now as I consider your kindness and your goodness to me. And just allow the Lord 
to remind you. When you forget the kindness, that's when you stop growing and you start fading. This is what happened in this young king's life. You can open your eyes now. Look at me. I don't want you going to sleep just yet. (laughs) This is what happened in this young king's life. And the minute you start to forget the kindness, you stop making that forward progress of growing and maturing, and you start fading. Remember that song some years back by Casting Crowns, It's a Slow Fade? Just talking about the danger in the Christian life. You know, you don't fade in a day. It doesn't all happen in a moment. But a little here, a little there, a little taking your eye off, a little forgetting. And slowly, gradually, you're, you're not, you, your, your forward progress is stopped and you're starting to fade. And that's what happened in this king's life. A couple more New Testament verses that I want to read to you and then we're going to close. Listen to this out of Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. He says this to the Christians of his day, and so it speaks to us. For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But listen, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Peter says apply all diligence. And boy, there's a lot we could talk about each one of those bullets, but Oh, look at there. The Lord provides. Just be still, be quiet, and the Lord will take care of <laughs> Those virtues that are added to one, you know, it, you get the idea. This is, a, this is a progressive work of God and grace in your life. And as long as you are growing and adding, allowing the Holy Spirit to add these virtues into your life, you are, you are, you're going to find yourself... Uh, these things are yours and abound. You will, verse 8, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the minute you stop that growing, the minute you start forgetting the goodness, you're short-sighted even to blindness. You've forgotten that you were cleansed from your old sins. Our Christian life, is in, we're called to grow and mature. We're called to grow up spiritually. And this allowing the Holy Spirit to add his fruit, his virtues to our lives is directly related to our remembering his kindness. These things are connected. When you start forgetting the faithfulness and the goodness of God, you you begin to put yourself in a dangerous place spiritually. Last verse, and hopefully I'll have this. You'll know this one, Revelation 2. What do we do? How do we recover What did Joash need to do? You remember this letter to the church in Ephesus. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. All good things. Boy, you guys are doing well. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Verse 4, nevertheless... I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, there's that word, 
Remember is the opposite of forget, right? Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This story of Joash is a a cautionary tale. Paul said that we have these, these writings in the Old Testament to serve as our admonition, our encouragement. These are lessons for us. We look at this young king and we see a tragedy in his life. We see although he began well, he finished poor. And so we're encouraged. And, and we say, well, you know, we're in the New Testament. You know, we've got the Holy Spirit within us. We, we won't, we'll finish strong. Well, this is written to the New Testament church in Ephesus. And he says, listen, you need to remember some things. I have, you're doing well, a lot of good things. We could compliment all the works and the, and the, and the thing. You know, there's busy. You're, you're, you're busy in the church, but there's something that's happening in your heart beneath the service, beneath the program, beneath the, all of the good works and things that are going on, something beneath the surface, not necessarily seen to the eye, but the Lord sees it in the heart. Something's going on. You're losing. You've left your first love. How do you recover? How do you get back with what the Lord has for you? First, you remember. Second, you repent. And thirdly, you come back and do the first works. Now, the first works, these are not works to earn salvation. These were those works of the heart that was grateful and thankful for salvation. Can you remember when you first were were saved and forgiven and God changed your life? Do you remember the zeal, the passion, the joy, and that love that you had? This is what what Jesus is saying to the church in Ephesus through the Apostle John. Come back and do those things. Remember the kindness of the Lord. Repent. Stop going this direction and come back and do those things that you did in the beginning when it was just precious to you when there was a sweet fellowship. This would have been a good word for Joash. Joash, you're drifting away from your first love. You need to remember the kindness of Jehoiada. You need to come back to the things that caused you to do well and return, repent and get back on course. God wants us to finish strong. Throughout the Scripture in the New Testament, we see that. Finish the race. Run the race that is set before you. How? With endurance. The the good work that God has begun in you, He will be faithful to complete it. You're not on your own. It's not something you're going to do in your own strength. But it's a heart that is is in relationship with Him, continuing to grow, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead, to correct, to guide, to influence your life, to bring you to that place of what He's ultimately calling all of us to a strong finish. How many of you want to finish well? It's great to start, but we need to finish well. And, the, and, and we need to see this warning tonight. Listen, it, it's not automatic. You've got to keep your heart guarded and keep your heart rooted and remember the kindness and the goodness of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you tonight. This passage out of Second Chronicles, the story of a young king who started so well, 
Lord, you rescued him when he was just a year old, and this, this priest took him in and then set him on the throne, set his feet upon the, the, the throne of Judah. And yet, Lord, when Jehoiada, when that godly influence was removed, we see that, that this young king's heart was not rooted well. And I pray for our hearts tonight, Lord. I want to be rooted in the things of God. I don't want to be just kind of on the surface Christian. I, I don't want the soil of my heart to be rocky and nothing really penetrating deep from your word and your truth. Lord, I want to be open to the Holy Spirit, correctable, and I want to reflect and remember your goodness. God, help us tonight that we might continue in those things that you've destined for us, the good, good works that you've prepared for all of us to complete. And as our heads are bowed here tonight, I, I do want to pray if there's anyone that just needs to respond to the Lord. It may be that you are here tonight and, and you, you just need, the Lord is stirring up your, your remembering. You need to repent and you re- need to return to your first love. Maybe you've lost your way. Maybe you started well. Maybe you were walking with the Lord closely in a season of your life. But tonight, for a variety of reasons, you find yourself fading. You find yourself discouraged. You find yourself off course. And this word has come to you. This word has not come to condemn you. This word has come to, in the same way that the Lord sent the prophets, to rescue you, to heal you, to restore you. And, and you just, you sense the Holy Spirit just wanting to correct your course tonight. And I just want you to acknowledge that. I want to pray for you. If that's your heart tonight, you sense the Lord is just asking you to recommit, recommit your heart to the first love. I ask you just to raise your hand and I'll pray for you here as we close. God bless you. Over here, in the back. Amen. Two or three hearts, anyone else? Lord speaking to you. Okay, God bless you in the very back. Here as well. Amen. He loves us. Amen. He loves you. He's he's speaking to your heart because he wants to restore you into that sweet place of fellowship and confidence with him. Anyone else just before I pray? So, Lord, these hearts responding to you tonight, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that comes through the ministry of your scripture. And, Lord, how the Holy Spirit just overlays it and applies it into our hearts. And for these that are responding, Lord, I pray that you would meet them. That you would meet them first with, with mercy as they repent and, and say, God, forgive me. I, I need to come back to the, the first love. I need to be walking with you in, in sincerity, and I need to allow you to correct my heart and realign my steps. And, Lord, I just ask you to cleanse me now. And then, Lord, I pray, having cleansed them, that you would fill them with your Spirit in a fresh way tonight that would allow them to restore those works that they did at first, that, that work of joy, that work of love, that work of fellowship with you, that work of faith. 
Lord, not a work to earn anything, but a work that flows out of having everything, everything that you've given to them in Christ. Guide their hearts, lead their lives. Lord, help us all tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.